This WBEZ podcast is supported by Hacia, whose Executive Fellows Program provides Black and Latinx business owners with real-world tools and strategies needed to master fundamental management concepts related to company stability and growth. Registrants learn through one-on-one executive coaching sessions with subject matter experts in the areas of finance, business development, operations, and legal. More info at HACIAWorks.org. From WBEZ Chicago, this is Nerdat Recaps, His Dark Materials with Peter Seidel. I'm Greta Johnson. And I'm Trisha Bobita. And we are joined by Peter Seigel. Hello, ladies. To <laughs> quote another HBO series that we'll never speak of. What is that from? <laughs> it was a completely failed HBO series that was created by Stephen Merchant, who, of course, collaborated with Ricky Gervais and created the, the Office. Yeah, and, yeah. And it was one of those series in which there, there was a huge genre of these in which some man thinks that his failure with women will be of great interest to the larger world. Oh, you know what? I am familiar with yeah. this general premise. Yeah. Should we jingle it right now just no, for the sake look, of like a I am long warning you guys. We are HBO now show. in the first two minutes <laughs> of the first episode. Okay. Keep your powder dry. Blah, 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 whatever. Peter, nobody cares. You see? You just, I'm telling you. You're going to spoil your dinner Uh, if you have dessert first. We'll see. I feel like you've said that before, too. Anyway, so today we're recapping season one, episode one of His Dark Materials. It was called Lyra's Jordan. Before we actually get to the pilot, I think we should talk a little bit about why we decided to take this on as our next recap project beyond Game of Thrones. Right. Well, for one, there's no more Game of Thrones. (laughs) Because one, there's no more Game of Thrones. (laughs) Yeah, that's That's the most honest answer. Yeah, it really is. There's no more. Well, I mean, we, we. have talked over, I guess, the last year, really, about what we might recap next. And we, we rejected a lot of other things because some of us didn't like them. Some of us might have liked them, except they were bad. <coughs> Westworld. <coughs> and, um, but we arrived at this because, and I will start and you will tell me that I'm wrong. Uh, like Game of Thrones, it is based on a justifiably beloved series uh-huh. of fantasy novels. And a novels. completed series of and fantasy thank, novels. Thank you, Mr. Pullman. Uh-huh. Those fantasy novels, if you don't know, are collectively called His Dark Materials by uh-huh. Philip Pullman. They're books that at least Greta and I have read. Yes. And loved. Yes. I loved it. And like Game of Thrones, there is the potential at least for this to be much more than just a fantasy world and heroes and villains. That, that At least in my memory, uh, the books are, are quite deep. So yeah, when's the last time you read the books? That Peter? is a good question. Uh, a long time ago. In fact, I just because I felt I should, uh, got another copy of uh, The Golden Compass, book one in the series, and started reading it and was immediately reminded by how little I remember. There were a lot of things I'm like, "Uh uh-oh, I don't remember that. And then seeing the series, they were like, oh, yeah, those are characters, and I don't remember those characters well at all. And this is in great contrast to uh, Game of Thrones, where I had read uh, reread the books quite recently and thus could make could be very pedantic and annoying about comparing them to the books. Well, that's very exciting. I have done a fair amount of rereading lately, partly because Philip Pullman has a new trilogy out mm-hmm. that is based on the same world. And so I've I reread The Golden Compass last year. And I just recently reread The Amber Spyglass, which is the third one of that series. Right. You skipped The Subtle and Knife. I skipped The Subtle Knife. The two, the next two are very strange books. But anyway, um, yes, Golden Compass was like one of my favorite books when I was a kid when it came out. It is fantastic. So I'm I, of course, super was excited a, for a this. grown-ass man when it came out, but yeah. that's well, always a problem. 
And Trisha, you have not read the book, so you're sort of our litmus test for if this show is going to work if you don't know the source material. Exactly. I should point out that I did offer to read the books, but then we decided for scientific reasons. (laughs) You are our control. I am Um, the control that is just the TV viewer. So if you're somebody who also hasn't read the books, I will be in your boat as we go along. And we are going to try not to do book spoilers. I want to make sure that people who are just watching the show can do that. So like we'll talk about maybe a little bit how things are different in the books leading up to things. Mm -hmm. But like I don't want to spoil anything about what's going to happen based on what's there. I don't, I don't want to get in the way of the outline, but Greta, can, can you explain <laughs> why you love the book so much? Because it's really why we're here. Uh, can I? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it is elements that you saw in the pilot, right? I mean, the main character is Lyra Balakwa. She's this 12-year-old girl. She's super sassy. She kind of doesn't give a fuck. She's obsessed with the North. Yes. Which happens to be where I grew up. Uh, you know, Northern Lights, mm-hmm. I think. Like, which was the original title of the book. Which was the, the original title of the book when it was released in Britain. I think, too, like all that original sin stuff is just very interesting. And I'm I just fucking love it. Man. Yeah, I will say. Oh, also armored polar bears. Armored anyway. polar bears. That's coming. <clears throat> the, 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 Speaking the, of spoilers. The Penzerbjorn. I forgot. That's yes. a great term. Yeah, see. Um, all the things that you said are correct. Uh, I will say that <laughs> Thanks, I know. Well, let's get off to a surprising start. Uh, I mean, meaning not that you're right, but I felt the same way. And that in particular, one thing you mentioned, anybody who is reading young adult or even kids lit, certainly in my generation, and if you have daughters, which I do, it's a problem finding books with great female protagonist. Yeah, and she is great. And I mean, she was one of the only ones when I read this in oh, seventh grade she, in 1997. It was very exciting. Yes. And and when I uh, picked it up a few years later, uh, I mean, even J.K. Rowling made her hero, Harry Potter, a boy mm-hmm. because she, even she understood that the mass readers, we've, they've all been trained to, girls have been trained to accept boys as heroes. Boys have not been trained to accept girls. And so finding um, Lyra, uh, Lyra, it's, Lyra, it's, it's great Lyra. that you've already pronounced uh, it incorrectly. That's I believe perfect. there was a betting pool on who's yep. what, the first name I would, it's I would Lyra. mispronounce. It's literally the main character I of know. the show. All right, it's fine, perfect. fine. But she is truly one of the great protagonists in all of fantasy literature. Yeah. And she's a 12-year-old girl, which is pretty awesome. I would put her up there with Coraline as my favorite female mm, protagonist. Yeah, yeah. This one is more resonant to me than Coraline. Yeah. Oh, but, I'm sure. You know. I mean, well, obviously the books are yeah. longer and reach, richer and deeper. For sure. Wait, what year did the first book come out? The first book came out in 97, I believe. Right before Harry Potter, which mm-hmm. is interesting. Mm-hmm. I just don't know how I missed these books. Isn't that funny? Yeah. And I mean, I didn't hear about Harry Potter until several years later. It was, that's I think, when yeah, Prisoner true of for Azkaban me was out was when I first learned about that series. One of the other reasons that I love this book series, you may remember, maybe you guys were too young, that when Harry Potter came out, there was this bizarre evangelical Christian backlash. The kids should not read these books. Uh, they're satanic. They're all it's about the witchcraft. Devil. They're about the devil, uh, which is nonsense when it comes to Harry Potter. It's utterly ridiculous. But you know... His Dark Materials, actually <laughs> satanic. It's everything that those foolish critics of Harry Potter worried about. And it was happening in plain sight at the same time, and they didn't It was notice. just under the radar yeah, they, enough. They just couldn't figure it out. But it's great. So that's partly why maybe it's taken this long to get this level of an adaptation, right? There's the movie that everybody sort of throws shade at with Nicole Kidman from yeah. years ago. But is it the fear of... 
sort of, uh, you know, the bat signal that that um, conservative family groups put up about kids literature being not good for kids? Is that bat signal what they were afraid of and why it took so long to get this made? It's possible. I do remember uh, the movie, which is not good, despite a lot of great things in it. Daniel Craig plays the lead, Nicole Kidman, a lot of money. Um, the third character, a lot of money. Yes. <laughs> I do remember that one of the things that happened in that movie is they re- they toned down the religious aspect. Because if, as you, if you've seen the pilot, you've already figured out that the villainous organization, uh, the dark wizards, if you will, is the church, which or as they call it, the magisterium. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, that's setting us up right now. Already all this conversation about heresy. And... Uh, they really toned that down. They made it something different in the movie for fear of offending religious communities. So then they offended the book fans. Yes, exactly. Trisha, have you seen the movie? I think probably ages and ages ago, but I also intentionally didn't rewatch it, you know, because science. Yep, yep. I rewatched it last, or I I may have watched it even for the first time last week. It is really terrible. Why is it terrible? Because I think this is relevant. It is relevant. They, there's a lot of very lazy explication to get from point A to point B in terms of the, the plot lines that they need to get to. And, and it just feels really obvious. They just sort of like hand it to you on a platter and are like, here you go. You're welcome. Which is just, you know, I think so much about especially the book is that there's like this joy of discovery, you know, and, and it opens on this scene and you just don't know what's going on and you have to piece it all together. And it's awesome. Right. And the show has already deviated from that a little bit, but my hope is that I mean, already it's better than the movie for sure, even though they did make some similar choices to the movie in terms of the opening scenes, which I thought was interesting. We can talk about that. Oh, I will also say before we get into the thing that one of the things I loved, and I'm sure this was really compelling to the young adult readers, is the whole concept of demons. Yes. If you've watched the show, you now know that in this world, every human being has a demon, an animal spirit that is constantly with them. And there was a slightly obnoxious set of words about that in the very beginning, setting it up. But that's fine. But the the whole I found and I was, like I said, a grown ass man, the idea (laughs) of having an animal spirit with you at all times, a close friend, a a counterpart, a a, or an external soul was such a childhood dream come true. Right. Right. (laughs) It's the most – I just was a kid again imagining how wonderful that would have been to yeah. have this, this, this animal ally with you at all times. Yeah, who you and can talk to. Who you can talk to and who talks to you. And that to me is actually one of the huge challenges of this. Yes. Because as the movie showed, it's actually weird to have human beings walking around constantly accompanied by different kinds of animals. Yes. <laughs> Right. It's like as many humans as you have in a room, you also have as many animals walking around. Exactly. And I noticed one of the few notes I made watching the pilot was how much they cheated. Yes. How many times there was a shot of a bunch of people and their demons were nowhere to be seen. Yeah. I've decided that the presence of a demon is like a reverse red shirt already. Oh, sure. Oh, yeah. I see what you mean. (laughs) That basically if somebody doesn't have one, then they definitely aren't important. Right. (laughs) So before we get to talking about the pilot, I think we should discuss what our demons would be. Oh, okay. Peter, I think you should start. I remember figuring it out, but I forgot what I told you. What did I tell you? (laughs) You said a miniature donkey. Yes, I did. And I think now that you've brought that back up, <laughs> Do you stand I think by that? I stand by it because <laughs> Good. I'm, I'm, grown small, ass, as it I'm were? small, I'm extremely stubborn <laughs> and not good for much. <laughs> I mean, I love donkeys. Who doesn't love a donkey, right? They're useful for hauling <laughs> things. But a miniature donkey? What are you going to yeah. do with that? Yeah. Here, pull this little wagon. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. 
That fits. I mean, like keys and wallet, I guess. Yes. Trisha, what about you? So he's a fanny pack of a donkey? Is that what we're saying? Yeah, that's yeah, what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. You can put a fanny pack on him. I mean, again, based on just what you guys told me these animals are all about and now what I've decided I think about them from the pilot, I'm going to stick with my original theory, which is a very shaggy, slightly disheveled golden retriever. Yeah, I like that one. But with a cool haircut. Yeah. <laughs> now, one of the things I, I mentioned when we were discussing this was the fact that, uh, in the book at least, all servants have dog demons, which, right. uh, which to me is a little eruption of British classicism, Yes, which bothers me a little yeah. bit. Yeah. Well, also the determinism of you are going to be whatever you are, basically as you're being bar mitzvahed, yeah, your demon is telling you what your job's going to be. Like it's a very terrible one of those tests you take in middle school that's like, what career should you choose? But in a much more serious way. Yeah. And what if you don't want to be a servant, but like your, you know, your career is a you know, freelance podcaster flames out and you have to get a job as a butler. Does your demon uh, change? And you're just stuck with this fucking donkey. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> like, you know. It'd be terrible if I got fired. I had to get a job as a servant and like all the dogs looking at my donkey and my donkey's looking at the dog going, what? <laughs> <laughs> totally would happen. It's pretty great. Uh, I think mine is a puffin. That's what we decided. Yes, because it's uh, it, it's Alaskan. It's Alaskan. Which we needed. And it's kind of terrifying looking. I do not think a puffin is terrifying. What are you talking about? <laughs> Greta, I think also you're a bird that would swim. Like you're much more a fish than you uh, are a yeah. bird. Really? Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. So before we actually chat about the pilot, should we listen to some voicemails? Sure. First? We've got a pretty good spectrum. Do you want to start with the one that thought it was bad or the one that thought it was great? Why don't we do great than bad? Okay. Hi, Nerdad podcast team. Uh, my name is Camila, and my personal demon would be a hummingbird. And I just wanted to say I was blown away by the series premiere. It was really amazing. Um, the opening sequence was beautiful. And I particularly love all of the stuff that they did with the Egyptians and how they portrayed it like a full-fledged culture with rituals. I was definitely that disappointed. We're, you know, we stray far away from the horrible movie territory. Uh, thanks. I agree that the opening credits were very, very beautiful. Weren't they awesome? Uh, they were. They were lovely. I missed Remen Duali's music, the guy who did Game of Thrones oh, and Westworld. Yeah. So the guy has range. Uh, He's good. Interesting. Yeah. I didn't realize he in had fact, done Westworld one also. Of, one of my criticisms of the show is, in fact, the music, which I thought was kind of obvious and manipulative. Oh, but anyway. Okay, fair enough. Well, let's listen to someone who kind of like felt middling about it. Hey, Nerdette and Peter. Uh, this is Jonah from Chicago. Really glad you guys are keeping the band together for another show. I thought it was uh, a really interesting world they set up, but I felt they were really rushing things in terms of kind of getting the plot in gear. And I, I really wanted to get to know some of the characters better and... Uh, you know, let the characters breathe a little bit more and, uh, you know, just have some, some more interesting dialogue. But I'm looking forward to see where things go. <laughs> okay. All right. And You know uh, what that sounds like to me? Huh. That sounds like a reader. Because as a television watcher, I don't want to just sit around. Like, I think right. that's one of the big differences, right, is we used to talk about how the early seasons of Game of Thrones, there would be these long stretches where it was just like somebody on a horse indefinitely yep, we sure and did. then yeah. it turned into a real television show in the last couple seasons now lots of people didn't like that but the pace at which you have to move to keep me the you know sort of scatterbrained tv viewer happy 
is different than what the lovers of this book are probably used to. So even though it's going to be longer than a movie, they still got things to do and places to go. So I'm glad that it wasn't slower. Oh, I loved the pacing. I thought it went really well, actually. And, you know, part of part of what's complicated with the story is that there like there are still so many more characters to meet yeah. that they can't spend too long on, you know, the my, the maester. Maester, master, master of Jordan. We've gone from maester to we've added. Damn it. We've added. We've taken away an e from maester and we've added it to demon. Oh, there you go. <laughs> well, and we even had a crypt, which was great. It was yes, like, it was a oh, good crypt. Good, there's a crypt. Okay, let's listen to one more voicemail and then we'll dive in. Hello, Greta, Trisha, and Peter. This is Ryan. My uh, demon or daemon would be a triceratops. Is that allowed? Yes. Um, I just watched the first episode. I would give it a C. I think it reminded me more of the movie than the book, unfortunately. I hope it, I hope I find it more engaging in the future. Thanks. So a pretty broad spectrum of opinions there yeah. between those three listeners. I know. A dinosaur demon had not even occurred to me. That is delightful. It, it there. I don't know if Pullman, I don't remember if Pullman addresses this, but there have to be rules about what demons can be because I, I was wondering, what if your demon's an elephant? Right. Then how do you get, you know, how do you go to a dinner Indoors. party? Indoors. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, it's then like, you just don't, I think. I, I just, I just got to wait out here. I think that's part of it because they do refer to that a little bit in the books. Like if you end up with like a fish demon, like you just have to live by the water for right. your Right. Oh, I think life, you're right. They you do. Know? Yeah. Unless we were, I was joking with somebody, unless you like just got one of those plastic bags with water full, you know, you just put a carrying fish in there. <laughs> carrying on your like demons. Like a carnival goldfish? Like, like yeah, a goldfish? Exactly. That is hilarious. <laughs> Wait, what is the range of me to demon? Is it like me to my phone if I'm wearing my Apple Watch? Like if I walk down the hallway at some point? That is an excellent analogy. Uh, yeah, probably. Or like Bluetooth speakers pretty much, I yeah. would say. Yeah. In the books, I remember that one of the things that happens is somebody, a, a person appears in some context, without their demon. Yes. The demon is nowhere to be seen. Yes. And that is, and I remember Pullman trying to explain how incredibly weird that is. It's like walking, watching somebody walk around without their head. It's yeah. like you yeah. never, it's impossible. It's not even just weird, it's like sickening. Yeah. Because like, it's so, it's like a, it, you're like, it's a deformation yeah, essentially. It's, it's, if it's, you, don't. You, you can't even look at it. It's so yeah. awful. And yeah. so yes, that would, that would imply that your demon always has to be somewhere near. Man, if you're a demon who's a bird, that's got to be kind of boring then because you can't really fly anywhere. Well, I think that's partly why you may have noticed most of the Egyptians have bird demons because right. they're on the water. And so as they're traveling in the boats, then the birds can fly more, too. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, I think, what did uh, – I'm going to ask Trisha first. You've yeah. never read the books. What did you think? Um, I liked it. I thought that the opening scene was almost a carbon copy of the start of Harry Potter. So – and I know it came out before Harry Potter, but still it was like – you, know, you mean the, of them running around on the rooftops? No, you mean the, the baby no, being I mean, delivered? No, I mean oh, James McAvoy as Hagrid. Yeah. <laughs> and that apparently, yeah. and I didn't know this, I didn't remember that from the book. It it's not out, in the book. It's, it's from the, the next trilogy. Yes, that, which are prequels. Bell Sauvage. Well, it's very confusing. The first one of this subsequent trilogy is a prequel. Yeah. The second one actually takes place after, it takes place 20 years later. Yeah. The, I mean, and you're right. It is exactly the same scene, but that is a classic scene of like literature going back thousands of years. Of yeah, the right. Yeah. Baby, the baby removed from its mysterious parents. We don't know who they might be yet and delivered unto an institution to be raised as a foundling. Well, and the flood thing, too, right? It's yeah. like a, it has obvious biblical symbolism in yes. there. 
Should we? By the way, I don't know if people know this, but the title of the trilogy and now the TV show, His Dark Materials, is a quote from Milton because this is suffused with Paradise Lost. Yes. Would you like to mansplain some Milton to the people? Why, yes, <laughs> I would. Gather around and listen while old Peter Sagal mansplains this show to you. I was entrapped. <laughs> That is not fair. You can't say, well, please dude, mansplain this. No, I didn't and I say, say okay, and then you play the, no, that was total entrapment. I feel like John DeLorean. Um, John Milton, who I think was more or less a contemporary of Shakespeare, a little later. No, he was later. Um, sorry, he was, I'm sorry, I just I remembered. It's watching you do this. I, I was an English major, but it's been a while. So was I, but I'm not even going to try. Yeah, I know. He was actually later than, he was like two generations later than Shakespeare. He wrote famously Paradise Lost, which is a book-length, epic book-length poem. It begins with Satan being thrown out of heaven, and then it goes through the temptation of Adam and Eve mm-hmm. and the fall of them from Eden, Paradise Lost. Yep. And the quote, I was actually, I just had to look this up. His Dark Materials comes from a moment early on. The poem Paradise Lost begins with Satan already being thrown out of heaven. He's rebelled against God. I don't know. Does anybody know this story? Is this like well known these days? I mean, I, I read Paradise Lost in college. Satan was, know. the idea of Satan was uh, God's favorite angel. He decided that he would rather overthrow God. He led a rebellion against God, was thrown out, ended up in hell. And Paradise Lost begins right after that. And then the first action is Satan says, well, I'm going to leave hell and I'm going to go see what else is out there because I've heard there's this world that God has created. I'm going to ruin God's creation. I'm going to go. I've heard there's just these other creatures that aren't angels, and I'm going to go see what they are. And he's looking upon this gulf of chaos between hell and the rest of, I don't know, the universe. And he comments on on his dark materials. His, I think, is God's, and dark materials is the stuff of creation. And there's this moment of like, what could everything possibly be? I think that's my best stab at it. Perfect. All right. So, Tricia, what else did you think about the pilot? I mean, I think it definitely feels like a show for kids. And I actually don't mean that as a pejorative, but compared to everything else HBO does except Sesame Street, basically, <laughs> they just aren't filling it with gratuitous yet. They yeah, there aren't were no filling boobs. it with no boobs. Yeah, no nudity, no gratuitous violence yet. Um, you know, a there's, little there's, scary, but not too, not like unhandleable. Well, and it's a little bit like Spielberg kids scary, which I think he does kids scary the best, right? Where it's like you know, just that shot at the very end of Roger, yeah. and we don't know what he's trapped inside, but he's trapped inside something. Yeah, and you know the the ominous things that are you know the crypt things that scare kids that they gravitate towards because they're adventurous. That was fun. That was, yeah. mm-hmm. I think, exciting. I thought, um, you know, the young actress who's playing this leading role oh. is got a lot of work Daphne to do. Like Keen, holy Daphne cow! Keen, I yeah. loved her she so is. much. If there's one, yeah, if there's one reason why I'm confident that this will be a show worth talking about, it's her. She's so good. I think the thing I loved so much about her was that I was so impressed with the the scope of. Like having that wide-eyed wonderment and fascination and curiosity and enthusiasm, but also like refusing to be told what to do. Oh, absolutely. Which just I think captures her essence so beautifully. There's a a habit in all literature, not just kid literature, for the hero or heroine to be somewhat passive as things happen to them. Mm, I mean, like you think of the first book of Harry Potter, for the first three quarters, he's just looking around going, Just along for the ride. (laughs) What the hey is all of this? And 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 Lyra from Lyra and from the very beginning. (laughs) 
See, this is what happens. You said you said that wrong. And I say, oh, my God, I said it wrong. But I can't remember which version was wrong. So I'm just as confused. But she, from the very beginning of the book, and I hope the TV show, she is an independent actor who's not yeah. just waiting yes, around. Yes, yes, yes. And, uh, man, Asriel, I thought, was exquisitely unhinged. Yeah, he was good. I thought, I mean, they cast Roger, excuse me, Roger Moore, geez, Daniel Craig as yes. Lord, which is perfect casting. He's got such weight but James McAvoy did a great job, and partially because, as you say, he seemed a little nuts mm-hmm. and a little unstable and, and obviously obsessed with larger things that are driving him. And this, as I remember, will be important later on. I mean, I think a lot of people will know James McAvoy best from his role as uh, Professor X in the reboot of the X-Men franchise, right? So. Mm-hmm. Right. Patrick Stewart played it in sort of the original cohort of the movies. And then he's but James McAvoy has had this role for, gosh, I don't know, maybe almost a half dozen films, maybe even more. Like it's hard to keep track of how many of those X-Men movies there are. I've seen all of them. I love them. But he has also done some like dark, strange, weird roles where his mind is fractured and he's playing multiple characters. He's playing multiple personalities while playing a similar sort of unhinged character. So there is a darkness and a strangeness in his performances that I think he's tapping into just enough of here because it's not really the point for him to seem like completely gone around the bend but this definitely seems like a person who could be an unreliable source of information and I like that yeah he has he has a weird fantasy resume because he also played Tumnus the Fawn what in uh, the more, most recent the most recent uh, Narnia movies The wow. Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe but if you really want to see James McAvoy, like I, the first time I saw him, I was like, God, this guy is good, was in the movie Atonement. I highly recommend huh. it. Yeah. Interesting. He also, he also voiced Hazel in the recent BBC animated version of Watership Down, which I couldn't <laughs> get through, despite my love for Watership Down. That is quite a spread. I know. He's been out there. Okay, we'll talk more in just a minute. This WBEZ podcast is supported by Hacia, whose executive fellows program provides black and Latinx business owners with real-world tools and strategies needed to master fundamental management concepts related to company stability and growth. Registrants learn through one-on-one executive coaching sessions with subject matter experts in the areas of finance, business development, operations, and legal. More info at HACIAWorks.org. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. So the book opens with Lyra in Hiding in the closet of yeah. that room. A wardrobe, in A fact, wardrobe. Which I think is a knowing nod to C.S. Lewis. Mm-hmm. And watching the Tokai. 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 Damn it. The tables have turned, Johnson. Watching the Once Tokai. Once you were the student, and I the master. Sorry. Get poisoned. Yes. Uh, but I thought they did a really good, like, that setup of the scene with Asriel ahead of time in the North getting super excited about figuring this stuff out yeah. and saying he's going to go down to Jordan and present this, right. I thought made a lot of sense and worked and didn't feel too obvious. Yeah. But was, like, would be useful setup for someone like you, Trisha, who's like, wait, what's going on? What is this dust? Yes. <laughs> exactly. Anyway. Tr- so, Trisha, you find yourself as the newcomer to this world interested in it. You're like, what's going on? What's happening next? Yeah, I, I will say, though, the, the something about the format of it and the way it was set up, 
I, I do wonder what the next 15 episodes will be because right we have this 10 episode season and then I think a six episode season and they're like that's it 16 episodes eight, and eight actually oh is it eight and eight I think but so. this like that's it we have this finite beginning middle and end there's something very exciting about knowing they have that plotted out the entire series as 16 episodes so they'll presumably get to the end of I the believe third so book his dark materials yeah wow, I think that's the plan me. I know which compared to Game of Thrones again kind of refreshing to have the creators of the show know where it's going and how long it's going to take and absolutely be very intentional from the start so that is encouraging to me but yeah it's funny it does feel like a very well-made YA movie to me right now but as we get to know more characters and find out more things I guess we'll we'll see yeah are there were there any moments in this first episode where you were like this is not working for me I don't care about these people or I don't get what's happening like I'm curious how you feel about the Egyptians actually you mentioned the the Egyptian bar mitzvah, bar mitzvah which I think is a great I, way of putting that I thrilled that. Trisha when you said that. <laughs> <laughs> that I actually liked a lot and getting to know those characters who were a little grittier and more real felt interesting to me I felt like the kind of very heavy handed foreshadowing between the master of Jordan and the librarian who uh-huh. was her teacher. Like she must, it was like, okay, we get it. She's important, right? Yeah. Like she must not know what is to come and she must do all the things and it is important and the world depends on it. And it's like, okay, like we Got figured it. that, but she's, it was she's a little heavy handed in the exposition there for me. Did the librarian give you Leo McGarry vibes? Um, only a little and only because he looks a bit like John Spencer. <laughs> I thought it was very sweet. So, yeah, I was kind of surprised by the Egyptian setup as them being freedom freedom fighters, because that was something that had not really come up in the books, but I thought was kind of an interesting. The Egyptians are obviously uh, sort of this universe's version of the Roma. But do you remember, because I don't, Greta, what the Egyptians are like in the book? What are they supposed to be? Are they like the Roma, i.e. either a distinct ethnic group? I don't know. I don't know if they're a distinct ethnic group, but they definitely have their own cultural traditions and are pretty separate from the rest of culture. You know, like they are chilling on boats, going back and forth. They have places where they live. They have like their own, you know, like ways of expressing respect to one another that you wouldn't know unless you were Egyptian or knew someone who was Egyptian who could tell you what to say. So it is very... It is its own distinct entity for sure. Right. Okay. I'm. I, I, yeah, I feel like they're more just separate from everything than they are like trying to advance justice, yeah. which is what it seems like they were kind of getting at. I, I read at least one other recap in which it indicated that that has been significantly changed from the book. Where they, It seemed to indicate that they were more of an ethnic minority in the way that the Roma are in real yeah. life. And that they have been transformed into a multi-ethnic group of people that are bound together more by culture than race. That coming of age ceremony was really interesting because that's something that did not happen in the books at all. But it was a great way to kind of get to know their world a right. little bit the, and to care about the cost. And they have their own ritual. And it also emphasized something that uh, they want you to know, which is that a demon takes many different forms when you're a child. And when you become an adolescent, right. it settles. That's the apparently the technical term into one form for the rest of your life, mm-hmm. which is, again, is a little determinative, but kind of a good analogy for what adolescence and transition to adulthood is like. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. So as tr- an only TV watcher, it definitely did help me understand the importance of the animal as opposed to it being a pet or a sidekick. It's like, no, mm-hmm. this animal is sort of as in control, potentially. Um, although it did seem like the 
the fact that some of them sort of are debating each other. Like, don't do that. Is it like, is it your conscience? Is it your soul? Like, the fact that it has its own opinions that you can sort of argue with it is very fascinating to me. And I think it'll be fun to watch that play out with some of the actors. Was I right in that demons only speak to their humans? They never speak to anybody else? No, they can speak to other people and other demons. They often will convert, like, you know, if you and I were chatting, our demons might yeah, be I chatting, remember that too. From the book, yeah. But yeah, you can talk to other people's demons, okay. too. You don't touch them, though. No, yes. Somebody pointed out online that Rogers seems to be trying to mimic in the same way that oh, Rogers trying to be her. The demons are trying to be each other a little bit because he's just so Ooh. enamored with her. That's very cute. He reminded me of a tiny, tiny, tiny John Francis Daly. I have no idea. You know that kid from uh, Freaks and Geeks, like the the younger brother? One of the great holes in my cultural Mm. background. Oh, yeah, you're right, Greta. I really loved how clearly they were able to delineate the fact that, you know, like Lyra and Roger, they're both orphans. They're both sort of wards of the college, but in such different ways, right? Like the strata in which they live. Like Roger is a servant. Is a servant. He's literally pouring her water at this fancy dinner where she's sitting at the table. I thought that was a a really well illustrated. It wasn't like too heavy handed, but it very clearly depicted the fact that these two, while they're friends, come from very different places. And that could be. Uh, you know, difficult it, it, down the line. Whenever you read anything by a British author, you you have to grapple with the fact that they come, they grew up perhaps in a society stratified by class mm-hmm. that, you know, the world of, say, Downton Abbey is still very much alive in cultural memory. That some people are above stairs, some people are below stairs. There are people who are served and people who are servants. And uh, I mean, it's not quite a Hindu caste system, but I think... I mean, it suffuses it, – it, it, it's in Lord of the Rings, you know, like, you know, Samwise Master Frodo. You yeah. Know, this is a natural assumption. There are nobles and servants, and I, I think it plays out in these books. Mm-hmm. Trisha, what's your read on Mrs. Coulter? Bad News Bears. <laughs> what? Lyra, do you know why I'm here? The master has asked if I can find a place for you, and naturally I wanted to meet you first. And now that I've met you, I like you, and I want to offer you a position as my assistant. Now, you'll need to learn fast, and I won't take any slacking, but I think with your enthusiasm and my know-how, we could make quite the team. She has such a Dolores Umbridge vibe to her. I love it. She does. It doesn't help that her last name, which was perfectly innocent, uh, when it was when Philip Pullman invented it back in 1997, has now become associated with one of the most loathsome people in American <laughs> culture. But that's a that's a coincidence. Um, I liked her. She seemed. I mean, I remember Nicole Kidman in the movie yes. being so obviously villainous yes. when you met her. Yes, just doing the whole beautiful, dangerous, horrible person yes. thing. Yes, and this Mrs. Coulter. I mean, let me put it this way: I totally bought that Lyra went off with her. That her her approach to Lyra seemed very seductive. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, Lyra, Lyra would be like, yes, he left me behind. I really want to do this. You yeah. just showed up. You've got yeah. all these things for me. Let's yeah. go. Well, I think also the allure of being the only woman in that room and not wearing those boring ass robes, yeah. right? Like she 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 shows up at the perfect time, but she also presents herself you know, as a female scholar in a room yeah. in a space where Lyra doesn't see a lot of examples of that. So yes. it makes total sense to me that she would gravitate. Sure. And not only that, but Lyra has been raised entirely, it seems, by men. Yeah. Uh, and uh, she would be dying, I think, for a mother figure. And all, here comes it's, it's interesting that her 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 name isn't a lord or, or duchess. Her name is Mrs. Mm-hmm. She, she, she is introduced. And this is, of course, in the books 
as a married woman, mm-hmm. meaning where's the husband? Where, like, where's the daddy to her mommy figure? It's interesting. I always imagined her golden-haired monkey to be longer-haired and yes. more broad-shouldered. Me too. I thought it was strange, <laughs> strangely small. I had exactly the same reaction. I, th- I thought of it more of like an orangutan, even though orangutans are apes and not monkeys don't write in. <laughs> so, Trisha, what's your read on dust? I don't know about this dust. Gentlemen, I believe this is proof that dust is exclusively attracted to adults. Chesriel, be very careful. Well, that's only where it begins to get exciting, Master. I took this photogram a few days ago. The aurora, the northern lights. Yes, that's right. When seen with the ordinary emulsion. But I'd like you to look at it again using mine. A city in the sky. Myriad of worlds of which the Magisterium controls only one. A myriad of worlds made visible only through that most distasteful of substances, dust. Clear the room. None of us can hear this. It's so hard, you guys, to not just Google everything or read the books because I, you know I like don't, to know don't. everything. I know you do, but don't, don't. I'm, you are I think, our control. Don't spoil the experiment. So, what's the thing that you're dying the most to read up? Like, I, you know, I know generally you probably just want to know all the things, but is there one thing in particular where you're like, "Damn it, that alethiometer! What is happening?" Uh, I mean, that yeah. I mean, I think it's pretty funny that she was just shouting at the thing as if it was an Alexa. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that is, that is which is funny. apparently not how it works. So, <laughs> no. check one idea off the list. Um, But yeah, I don't know how the compass works. I don't know what the dust is. It's driving me bananas. We'll see how long I last being the person who doesn't know the stuff. Uh, It's It's interesting. When we started with Game of Thrones, we were, what was the fifth season was our first season? Yes. So So, we have not discussed a premiere episode Right. And so by the time we started talking about Game of Thrones, A, we knew it was popular. B, we had set opinions about it. And we could jump right in and talking about characters we knew. And now we, even though you and I have read the books, we're starting with a whole new thing. And uh, I, just like you apparently, Greta, was really concerned with, is this a good pilot? Is this a TV episode that that creates a world and makes you interested in it and makes you want to find out what happens next. And Trisha, you're our only hope because I'm interested in what happens next because I happen to know what happens next is really interesting. But what if you didn't? I mean, is this – I mean, I remember, for example, I watched the first episode or two of Succession. Oh. Which I know everybody loves and people – you should be recapping that because it's so good. Yeah. Um, but I remember thinking to myself, I just hate these people. Yeah. And I don't want to spend any more time with them as wonderful as the performances, acting, yes. writing, et cetera, yes. are. And I'm wondering, it, 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 are these people compelling enough for you, Trisha, that you want to stay and find out what happens to them? I think I am interested enough in the human characters we've met so far that I would have watched like – Another couple of hours, but the idea that there are whole parallel worlds or alternative worlds of some sort, like the Doctor Who fan in me, now I'm in. That's the thing that has me curious. Uh, Because if it was just a slightly different period piece set in the UK with like a bit of magic here and there, I don't know if it's enough for me um, because it's not as magical as Harry Potter. Clearly, like the world is not uh, quite so magical and it's not that same sort of interesting juxtaposition between uh, muggle world and wizarding world. But if there are whole other worlds in some dust, I guess, then sure. Yeah. What's that? What's going on? What's that about? Who's the other kid in the staircase in the opening credits? The Internet told me that, but I still don't know who he is, really. I just know his name is Will. What did the Internet say? That that's Will. 
Uh-huh. And someone is named Will. And also, Hot Priest is going to show up eventually, and Lin-Manuel Miranda. So, you know, you've got me until you get <laughs> Hamilton on screen, which apparently is episode four. Oh, is that when? Yeah, that apparently makes sense. Apparently, I have to wait till episode four to see Lin-Manuel Miranda. I have no but idea. But I will I stick with he, it. I know he's a character that shows up later, but I don't know when exactly. People do think he's terribly cast. Some people do. The, Those the people are going to be played, wrong. I promise the you. Person, I know. I'm not. I'm not upset. I feel okay about it. But yeah, the person who played Lee Scoresby in the movie was Sam Elliott. He's like a grizzled yeah. cowboy. Yeah. And that, yeah, he's a grizzled cowboy of the air. I and remember. Lee Scoresby does have like a southern accent. Yeah. Who's from Texas? So it will be interesting to see how Lin Manuel Miranda pulls that off. I believe in him. I thought it was great. I'm like so happy to live in this world. Yeah, so yeah, all, all I, I never here. even asked. Uh, I was so interested in Trisha. As yeah, a, as no, a, I was super curious about that, too. Yeah. Yeah, I loved it. I mean, I don't know. It's so... The Golden Compass is one of my favorite books, right? right? And and I read it at, like, such a formative age. And then to have gotten to, like, spend more time in that world lately because these new books are coming yeah. out. And then to be able to see it in this show, like, I just had so much fun. Uh, it's, you're probably feeling the way I felt going to see the first uh, Lord of the Rings movie. Yeah. Which I went by myself. Yeah. Because it was so meaningful to me. Yeah. Those were my books growing yes. up. Yes. Yeah. To, to finally see this world on screen in yeah. a hopefully respectful way was such an emotional... I was both excited and terrified. I was like, what if it sucks? Yeah. I, to see the... And, and of course, in that case, I was pretty happy. But mm-hmm. I totally understand the emotional place you're in. Yeah, especially Lyra, just to see how, like, she... You know, like, there's this moment where she's running up the stairs two yeah. by two. And, and it was just like... She's just so fucking cool. And there I just she love is. it. Yeah. There she is. She's doing it. She's just like charging through the world. There she is know? running on the roof of, uh, yeah. of Jordan College. Yeah. It's just really cool. Surrounded by doddering academics. Yeah. Surrounded by doddering academics, not all of whom are white, which is also really also very great. Clark Peters from The Wire. We're all looking for yes. Harry Potter veterans. Hey, there's a Wire veteran. Yeah, there's a lot of good crossovers yeah. that we can continue to discuss. I'm just going to sh- shout Scholastic Sanctuary in life sometimes. <laughs> yes. See if it helps, Trisha. <laughs> is there a public radio version of Scholastic? Sanctuary! Sanctuary! <laughs> okay, but guys, I have a question that we have not gotten to yet, which is... We think that maybe this Coulter is a bit devious, but also the big baddie seems to be the gobblers who are stealing yes. children. That's a very silly name for a very mean thing to do. Well, uh, you you said earlier, I think, Tricia, that this is a scary to children show. And what is more scary to children than to be kidnapped by villains? We remember, I hope, the child catcher from Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. I oh, still have God, nightmares about terrifying. him. Yeah, there's something ter- totally terrifying to children to being stolen away. And so that's a great um, villain for uh, this particular show, if you conceive of it as being, let's be generous, all ages. It is, and those scenes were scary, too. Yeah. I mean, like... Well, ugh. partially because of that that presumably evil demon with the glowing eyes that shows up. Mm-hmm. And yeah. then the it fox. It took Billy. Yeah. Yeah, well, Billy Costa. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Was the fox Billy's the the the, the abducted child? Was that I thought the fox belonged to her. No, the fox. It, they they say later something. I think Roger told Lyra that they've been hearing stuff about a singing man with a fox demon. Yeah. So the fox demon helps helps the creepy, which is real creepy. Yeah. And is it was it really that obvious that all the bad shit's going down in London? That was kind of a funny scene, right? Where Mrs. Coulter's like, oh, well, yeah, we'll for sure figure it out in London. Yeah. Well, everybody seems to know that the children are being taken to London because the Egyptians know that, too. Right. Yeah. And I, I didn't uh, didn't uh, bear Mormont. I'm just going to call him that. <laughs> didn't didn't he have you an mean explanation? John Fa. 
<laughs> I mean, no, more I mean Mormont. Mormont. <laughs> uh, didn't he have a um, the old bear? Didn't he have a um, a theory as like we we know they're in London because that's true. His theory seemed much more sound than Mrs. Coulter's, yes. which was just like, well, Oxford is too small for this sort of yeah, thing. Everybody really would happen. know, so it's got to yeah. be in London. Yeah. yeah. Well, I guess we'll find out. We sure will, and we'll see what more interesting production design. One last thing that's shot in what is clearly like the headquarters of the Magisterium. Oh, yeah, that was That was amazing. Pre- that was pretty cool. Uh, but when they looked out over that enormous arena, I'm like, no way does that roof stay up. <laughs> I know. <laughs> you that's had some what, questions about I had some questions about the architectural, the, the more or less the engineering, because I'm like, guys, uh, no. That's funny. You know what I thought about when I saw that scene is... I loved it because, like, reading the books, you know the Magisterium is imposing and yeah. intense. But, like, they never described a space like that yeah. in the books. And so to see it and how just, like, oppressive and crazy it must be, I thought was really well done. Like, yeah. to to see the ornate intricacy of a space like that. Yeah, and I like it's kind of cool and modern rather than old and Victorian. Yes. But yeah, still, that was an interesting choice. You can't hold up a roof like that without significant amounts of modern steel technology. You never know. Okay. They've got those weird zeppelins and stuff. True. I like that we're fine with animal spirits, but not poorly yeah. engineered. Well, that's always roofs. the whole thing, right? I know. It's like, you know. <laughs> we were fine with dragons, but does it really, like, how long does it take to get <laughs> exactly. from King's Landing <laughs> to the wall, you know? I will say, for those of you who are not Trisha Bobita and who are curious about reading the books now that you've seen the pilot, I do highly recommend the audiobooks because Philip Pullman actually narrates No, them. really? And there's a full cast of characters as well. So, so he narrates and then there are actors playing the characters. He narrates and then there are actors oh, playing the characters, great. which I is pretty know. fun. I had no idea you'd be that enthusiastic about it, Peter, but I'm so glad that well, you Well, I love that sort of thing. Yeah, no, it's a really good read and it's pretty quick, you know, and if you just did Golden Compass, it wouldn't take that long. Mm-hmm. So, you know, sorry, Trisha. I guess you could do it after. I Also, like, if you really want to read the books, I think that would be okay. But science. 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 This is a complete change of subject, but Lord Asriel's sweater I thought was lovely. I enjoyed it, too. I like that kind of sweater. I don't know what you call that collar, but I know I have like three of them at home. What do you? I mean, it's almost it's like yeah, a I half, like yeah, that sort of V-neck. Yeah, I like that. I, I'm, I'm, I'm all for his style. Sadly, we don't have enough to argue about, but hopefully that will come. <laughs> we can only hope. We can only hope. <laughs> I can tell you now that if anybody has anything but a glowing review of Lin-Manuel Miranda, I am going to be... <laughs> Guns a blazing. I'm just going to say, you know, you know, I am second to no one in my love for Lin Manuel Miranda. You were second to me. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. He is a human being. He has limits on his talent. I mean, I like seeing him in Mary Poppins did give me a bit of pause. I'm just saying. We don't talk about that. (laughs) We don't talk about Mary Poppins. All right, so if you all want to weigh in, of course, you always can. We love to hear from you. You can just record yourself on your phone using the Voice Memos app and then email it to us at nerdatrecaps at gmail.com. And the best time to send those is actually after you have watched the second episode, like right afterwards when you've got all your feels, just send them our way. The show is produced by us with help by Justin Bull. Our executive producer is Brendan Banizak. Our theme music was once again composed by Andrew Edwards of Blue Police Box Music. Thank you so much, Andrew. We also have special thanks to KUER. Peter, you look like you want to say something. I was going to say, who needs Ramin Duali when we got this guy? Exactly. We are at Nerdat Podcast on Twitter. Trisha is Trisha Bobita. I am Greta M. Johnson. Peter is Peter Sagal. And you can also use the hashtag Nerdat Recaps. You can. We'll find out. 
We'll okay, but wait. <laughs> we'll find you. We'll find out about that hashtag. We also have a newsletter. It's pretty great. You can get it at wbez.org slash nerdataf. I think that's all I have to say now. I also think that my favorite sort of set of tweets last night was a lot of academics saying like, oh, is that what you have to do to get a research grant? You just bring a frozen <laughs> head to the meeting? <laughs> And then say, who is against me? (laughs) Thanks for listening to the news live on WBEZ and NPR. The WBEZ stream sounds great in the kitchen on your smart speaker and anywhere on the WBEZ app. Listen every day.